Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Uh, This morning, uh, we are continuing in our series. And uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, traveling to Naples, Italy on what was then my first missions trip. And as I'm traveling, it's the second time I'd ever been on a plane. And so there's a little bit anxiety there, but first time traveling to a country where English is not the primary language, I don't know any other languages, and so um, get there, had a little bit of uh, issue in Paris as I'm trying to get to my connecting flight, a little uh, concerning there, but eventually I arrived in Naples, and so I am uh, standing in the baggage claim area waiting for my bag to arrive, nothing, (laughs) my bag did not show up. And so I'm looking all around. I'm, uh, there's nobody left. I'm the only one left in baggage claim area uh, in the Naples airport, which looks a bit unfinished. I think most of Italy looks unfinished. And so I'm standing there, and I'm like, well, where is it? I don't know the language. There's nobody around. And so panic begins to strike. And, um, and so I'm, I'm feeling very helpless uh, I have no idea what to do. There's no prior knowledge to, to depend on here. I'm not really sure what to do. I've never had a trouble losing luggage before. Um, and, and so, so I, I really don't know anything uh, what to do. So I assume that this counter behind me and to the left is customer service. So I go up to the desk and try to communicate to the, um, the agent there. Uh, my English wasn't helping And quite honestly, her Italian was making me more confused. And so I have no idea (laughs) what to do. I'm here. I'm speechless and helpless. So what seems like several moments, um, this young girl walks up to me. She's probably about six years old or so. And in perfect English, she says, you must be Steve. Yes, yes I am. And so she turns and she goes to the agent. And to my untrained ear, she greets the agent in perfect Italian. Ha-ha, there's an answer here, I think. So I turn to this little girl and I say, could you help me? Could you explain to the agent that my bag is missing and that it's not here? And so she does, perfectly, I'm assuming, because I was handed forms, and I was you know, signing my name and giving information, and I was on my way. I was dependent on a six-year-old to help me get my luggage. And eventually it came, uh, which was great. But um, that little girl happened to be the daughter of Tim and Jackie Faulkner, the missionaries that I was going to visit with. And so uh, Janae came through and helped me out. But it's a very humbling experience. Um, And maybe you've had a similar experience where you are fully dependent on someone else in a situation where you're otherwise helpless. 
Now, maybe in different circumstances, I would have been able to handle myself and been self-reliant and take care of things, but not that day. I was completely dependent on someone else. This morning, we're going to look at two encounters with Jesus that revolve around the idea of dependence. And so what I want you to be on the lookout for today is the difference between these uh, two encounters and what we can learn from Jesus this morning. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to Luke 18. We are picking up our study in the Gospel of Luke, uh, entitled On the Journey with Jesus, as he makes his way to Jerusalem. And so we're going to pick it up here, verse 15 uh, of Luke 18, and uh, here we go. Now, they were bringing even infants to him, that is, they were bringing them to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called to them. Called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's stop there for just a moment. So Jesus is teaching to the crowds, and uh, it seems like all of a sudden these people begin bringing their young children, infants, babies, to him so that he might touch them. Now, this was a uh, customary thing that would happen where uh, children would be brought to the temple to the rabbi for a blessing. Uh, So they could receive a blessing from the rabbi or from God. And so that's what's sort of happening here. But the disciples want no part of this. Uh, They are rebuking, telling people to stay back. Not really sure why, but maybe they felt that Jesus was too tired after a long day or too busy to deal with children. We're not really sure, but whatever was going on here, the disciples missed it. And Jesus corrects them, and he says, no, no, no. And he calls them to him, saying, here, let them, let them come to me. And so Jesus then says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, what does that mean? Well, We're going to dig in here a little bit, and we're going to look at three characteristics of children that I think help us to understand a little bit about what Jesus is talking about. First thing is that children are trusting. Children are very trusting. Uh, I know with my own kids, as I, you know, we've talked with them about, you know, don't talk to strangers. Why? Because they're very trusting. Someone offers them candy. uh, Yeah, I'll take candy. They're very trusting. We need to teach them. We need to train them about that. And so uh, children, oftentimes, they smile at everyone. They look at everyone. And, and the interesting thing, too, is, you know, you've been in a room, and someone walks in carrying a baby. Oh, Everybody wants to hold the baby. And in most cases, the baby's totally fine with that, as long as the baby feels safe and secure. That usually goes pretty well without too many tears being shed. Sometimes they'll see mama over there, but everybody loves the baby. The baby's trusting and lets you hold them. Secondly, uh, babies and children, their young children are particularly very curious, and they gravitate towards the wonderful in life. If you've ever been with a preschool or a young child as you're teaching them different things, everything is, oh, ah. You play peekaboo, it's this amazing thing. They're amazed every time you, know, you, you move your hands away. They have this natural wonder for the world. As we get older, we lose that. We try to apply our logic, I think. 
We try to understand everything and all the complexities of what something is before we'll allow ourselves to be amazed or to be amused. Unfortunately, we do the same thing with God sometimes. We try to make sure that we have God all figured out before we step out in faith. Or I've got to understand everything and all the complexities of who God is before I'll believe. We need to be like a child and have that childlike faith. Restore that awe and wonder in who God is. Lastly, uh, babies are completely helpless. Everything they need, they must depend on someone else. It uh, doesn't matter what it is, right? They need their parents or they need someone to feed them, to burp them, to clothe them, to change them. And if they need something, they really can't communicate what it is other than to cry. They are helpless. That relationship between baby and parent, caregiver, is essential for the survival of that child. Now, in that time, children were actually seen as less than citizens, they, they weren't really the same. They were uh, viewed as sort of lowly. They didn't have much value in that society. And Jesus is saying, we need to be like the children so that we can enter the kingdom of God. We can never enter the kingdom of God if we don't realize that we are insufficient, that we are helpless to save ourselves. You see, we have a sin problem going on. And there's nothing that we can do to fix that. We need Jesus. We need to recognize our helplessness and to rely and trust him. At Grace Point, we love kids. Children and families are very important to us. Children's ministry is a big part of what we do. And much like these parents here who were bringing their children to uh, the rabbi, to Jesus for a blessing... Uh, we, we get that. We understand that. That's valuable to us. At Grace Point, we don't have quite the same thing, but we have what we call child dedication. And it's different than child baptism, but child dedication is an opportunity for parents to make a commitment to, to raise their children, to know and follow God, to create an environment at home that nurtures faith and, and Christ-likeness. And so that's something that we we do often or we like to do often. And so if that's something you're interested for your family or for your your little one to dedicate them to the Lord, uh, you can talk to me or talk to one of our pastors. And we would love to to have that conversation with you about child dedication where uh, have an opportunity to dedicate them uh, to the Lord. So in these first few verses, Jesus has called the children to himself and he says, do not hinder them. Such that they would be, uh, that they would come to him helpless, yet trusting, depending on him and others fully, unhindered. To be like children, Jesus says, that's how we enter the kingdom. But now Luke is going to give us a different encounter. It's going to be very different. And this is where we're going to meet the rich ruler. Verse 18. And ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. But it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus probably has his arms full of infants and children. There's children crowding all around. And this rich ruler comes forward and he asks a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the interesting thing is that children were the lowest of societies, we said. But this man, this man was the pinnacle of success in their day. What a difference. The helpless children and this rich ruler. So it's interesting to note that he comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Why does he do that? Maybe the guy was, the rich ruler was trying to flatter Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you're good. Answer my question, please. Maybe he thought that Jesus had found favor with God from doing good works or something like that. Not really sure what was going on here. But, but Jesus responds with, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, this sounds a little backwards, right? Like, you would think Jesus would be like, yeah, I am good. Don't you know who I am? And Jesus kind of flips it around. What he's actually doing, it sounds like he's denying he's good, but actually, if you look at the original, and as you study this passage, Jesus is actually affirming his deity. He's confirming. He's making that claim that I and God am one. And so I am good and righteous. And God and I are one. So he's affirming his deity. Secondly, I think it's interesting that this ruler used the word inherit. He could have used the word acquire or achieve or get. What must I do to achieve eternal life? Instead, he uses the word inherit. Um, it, It sounds like this rich young ruler wants to do nothing but to wait around for his eternal prize. I just want to make sure I've done everything I need to do. I think that's the answer he was looking for. You've done everything. You can just inherit it now. And that's not what Jesus says. See, we learned this man was extremely wealthy. And in Jewish culture at that time, wealth was a sign of God's blessing, or so they thought. That the more wealth you had, the more blessed you were by God. And so this man must feel pretty good. In our day and age, you don't have to do much to receive an inheritance. You have to be born, right, into the family. And as long as you don't do anything that kind of gets you cut out of the will, um, right? You, you will receive an inheritance if, if that's what's going on in, in your family. Um, this guy, I think, wants to just sit back and relax and, and wait for that eternal prize when he has eternal life. And so he says, what must I do? I think he's expecting the answer, I've already done it. And so Jesus says to him, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, steal, bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So he says, I've done all all that, so I'm good, right? I think that's the answer he's looking for. But Jesus says, no, uh, you still lack something. See, if you look at those commandments that Jesus gave, they all have to do with other people, our relationships with others. And Jesus doesn't address the commandments about, the first set of commandments about having no other gods before him. Interesting. Because Jesus is going to, 
check into some. He's going to evaluate. He's going to point out this rich young ruler's motives and where his heart actually is. See, he wanted all the benefits of following Jesus, but without the sacrifice. He loved his wealth and his possessions more. Because what we see is, when Jesus tells him to sell everything and to give it all to the poor, the man becomes sad and grieved. In fact, the word for sad can be translated sometimes as overcome with sorrow, such as to cause one's own death. This was a major disappointment. He's very wealthy. He doesn't want to give all that up. The thought of selling everything he had and giving it to the poor and then basically becoming poor himself was too much for him. He held on to his wealth and his possessions too tightly. And he was willing. He was willing to trade the assurance of eternal life and the hope of Christ. He was willing to give all that up just to hold on to his material possessions. I think he's the only person in Scripture who meets Jesus and walks away worse off than when he arrived. Other people come to Jesus, they're healed, they're redeemed. They walk off praising God, as we saw earlier a few weeks ago in, in Luke. And this man walks away sad. You see, because Jesus exposes his heart. He wanted eternal life. He wanted all the glory without the sacrifice. He didn't want to give up his God of his wealth and his possessions and self-dependence. In Mark's gospel, uh, it says that Jesus looking at him Loved him. I think Jesus knew exactly how this was going to go. And I think Jesus' heart broke for this man because he realized that this man was not willing to give up his wealth to follow him and to come to Jesus unhindered. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was martyred for his faith, once said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This man did not want to give up what he's going to lose eventually. And he was not going to gain eternal life because of his God of wealth and possession and self-reliance. Now turning back to his disciples, Jesus says, how difficult it is for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't saying that the rich can't be saved. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that the rich young ruler had every need met by the means of his wealth. And so he could not recognize beyond his wealth his need for a savior. He held on to that wealth and possession as everything he needed and everything he was ever going to need. He had no need or want because he already had it. And it became his God. And Jesus says, this is what you lack. You lack a dependence. You lack a a faith. He allowed his wealth. And he chose his stuff. Instead, that was what was hindering him from coming to Jesus and following him. We see something very similar today, actually. Dire circumstances where poverty is all we know. And desperate situations create a a situation oftentimes where we're more sensitive to spiritual matters. That's what we're seeing in Lebanon right now. 
Uh, the situation in Lebanon is absolutely awful. Uh, the economy is in the tank. Any wealth that you had before, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, material possessions are, are meaningless. What you have, you hold on to. Uh, you're trying to find food every day. There's food shortages, energy shortages. There's all sorts of issues happening in Lebanon right now. And when you are so dependent on uh, your stuff, you, you lose sight of that. Uh, I mean, people are praying every day, asking God, where's my next meal going to come from? And our friends at Amcheap Baptist Church and our partners, Horizons International, they're seeing lots of people come to Christ, having spiritual conversations because they can no longer depend on anything else. They've got nothing else to cling on to. And so it's a, it's a situation that uh, they, they have nothing left. And so they're looking for hope, for something in a world that's crashing around them. If we were to look at statistics of, of around the world where uh, people are coming to faith in Christ, we're seeing conversions around the world. If you were to compare that between first world countries and third world countries, you'd see a huge growth, huge spike in third world countries. God is doing amazing things in what we call the global south. Uh, God is moving. The church is growing. It has nothing to do with material possessions. In fact, the opposite is true. They have very little by our standards. When I traveled to Bolivia, I would see this. Uh, We would go to different uh, poverty-stricken areas, and folks would be without food, without uh, medicine. But yet they have this joy in the Lord that is, it's enviable. I want to have a joy like that in the Lord. We, I think our stuff gets in the way. We don't have need to depend on God. And that's what we see in these other countries. Their dependence on God for every need is what drives their faith. Our stuff gets in the way, I think. You know, Jesus really wants to make his point here about what he's saying, and really to drive this point home. And so he uses a literary example called hyperbole. And uh, he says something so ridiculous uh, that it really causes the disciples to really wonder and understand that this is something very serious. Jesus is talking about something very serious, and so he's going to use this hyperbole. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a sewing needle. Now, camels were probably the largest land animal that they would be familiar with in this part of the world at that time. And Luke uses the word for a sewing needle. Luke is a doctor, so it's, this, it's the same word that they would use to describe the needle to perform stitches and things. And so this is, this is ridiculous. The disciples know what a seven-foot-tall camel looks like. And to think of the idea that it's easier for this massive beast to fit through the eye of a needle... Jesus, that is impossible. And Jesus says, it is easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Why? Because it has to do with the matter of the heart. Jesus, again, isn't saying that that wealth is a bad thing. He's saying what is impossible with God, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And disciples understand this, and so they they get the comparison, the hyperbole, and they say, so wait a second, Lord. So if the rich man, who is blessed by God, supposedly, with all of his wealth, that's what we understand, if it's impossible for him to come into the kingdom, what about us? 
We don't have anything. We, we, then who can be saved? If, the, if it's impossible for the rich man to, what about us? And Jesus is saying, nothing is impossible with God. As impossible as that whole camel needle situation is, God can work amazing things in the heart of this young ruler. And yet the man chose to steer away and to hold on to his things. See, the rich young ruler's problem was not his wealth. It wasn't how much he had. It wasn't the amount of property he had. It wasn't anything like that. The issue was his heart. And Jesus wanted to point that out. Jesus wanted to make the point to the disciples and to us that we cannot rely on our own stuff to save us. We can't put our faith and our hope in material possessions. Salvation doesn't come through an empty bank account. It comes through a fertile heart and a ready heart to serve and to depend on God for our every need, especially, most importantly, for our salvation. The man was hoping his stuff would save him. That's not the case. Now, we have a, an issue or a temptation for us. We might say, you know what? I don't have that problem. Uh, I wish I had that problem. I don't have that problem. But the reality is, is that when we compare what we have to what others have around the world, we are actually quite wealthy, even in our own standards, compared to third world countries or whatever. And so the temptation is for us is to rely and get comfortable with our safety and security with what we have. What's our heart? Where is our heart in this? Jesus wants us to examine our hearts and what is on the throne of our hearts. Is it our wealth, like this rich ruler? Or is it him, our Savior? Or we are dependent on him for every need. Are dependent on him for our salvation. So Jesus has given this example. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And good old Peter has a thought. And so Peter speaks up. In verse 28, Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this life And in the age to come, eternal life. The disciples want to, Peter especially, wants to know, look, Lord, everything that you just asked that rich young ruler to do, we've already done it. We're good, right? I'm in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom, right, Lord? I've already given up all my stuff. I've walked away. Uh, All my stuff is back home or I've given away. I don't have anything. I dropped my nets to follow you. So I'm good, right? I'm in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom, right? And Jesus affirms, yeah, you're good. He says, but while you gave up all that stuff, he says, you'll be rewarded in this life and the next. There was no preparation or arranging for these guys to, to, for their estates to be taken care of. They just left to follow Jesus, depending on him for every need. And they followed Jesus around. I mean, uh, Jesus essentially was homeless. There was no place, no central base for his operations. He was central base. Disciples followed him. The same should be true for us. When we decide to follow Jesus and we place our faith and trust in him, there's a level of dependence that I think very rarely we tap into. We must depend on him fully. 
Because you see, following Jesus fully means depending on Jesus fully. And not just talking about finances and salvation, but every need. Are we depending on Jesus fully? To truly follow Jesus fully means that we must stop relying on ourselves. We have, back, we have to die to self in order to follow him. And recognize that we are helpless and insufficient to solve that sin problem we have. We need Jesus. It means we come to Jesus like a child. You know, it's interesting in our encounters here. One is fully dependent on others for everything. And the rich ruler is fully dependent on himself for everything. They are complete opposites. And Jesus says that we need to become like children to enter the kingdom and to follow him. Sure, disciples will be rewarded. And Jesus says that's, that's going to happen in this life and in the next He's alluding to the fact that I I think what we see in the book of Acts later that the disciples will be as part of a community of faith and be a richer, more blessing, a greater blessing experience than what they even have now. One commentator put it this way, Jesus was obviously referring to the community of believers who would share with the disciples during their ministries. Those believers became a close-knit family, all sharing together so that none had any need. One thing I want to just point out here with this verse, oftentimes this verse can be used to uh, support what we sometimes call the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. That if you follow Jesus, according to these verses, taken strictly out of context, you know, that if you follow Jesus, suddenly you will be rich and you'll have all these blessings and wealth. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. This is a matter of the heart. Are we holding on to our stuff? And what is our attitude like towards our stuff and our wealth? Are we like the rich young ruler? Or are we like the children? Rather than holding on to our stuff with a grip for our safety and our security, we need to hold on to our wealth with open hands, trusting Jesus and being dependent on him. Will Jesus call us to sacrifice our stuff at times to follow him in greater dependence and greater obedience? Maybe. We don't know. But that cannot be all that we hold on to. It cannot be our God. It cannot be what, what keeps us from coming to Jesus and hindering us to having fullness of life in Christ. Following Jesus fully means depending on Jesus fully. So what does this look like or what could this look like? Well, it might mean that we just hold on to that stuff a little, little looser, with open hands. Uh, maybe it's an opportunity for you to think about how are you using your stuff to benefit others? You know, the rich young ruler was asked to give away his stuff and give it to the poor. Uh, maybe that's something that God is prompting on you this morning. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate what we call here at Grace Point gutsy generosity. Uh, next week, we're going to be uh, hopefully, Lord willing, talking about our Thanksgiving and Christmas offering. Now will be an opportunity for you uh, to consider uh, perhaps some gutsy generosity or to think about uh, how you can give above and beyond uh, in your steady stewardship. Trusting God to do amazing things with the stuff that he's entrusted into our care. Now, for those of you that perhaps aren't yet following Jesus, and maybe for you, you're, you're wondering, um, you know, what... What is it? What is it that's hindering you from coming to Jesus? Is it 
wealth? Is it logic? Is it that childlike faith that you just have to have it all figured out? Jesus wants you to come to him. He wants to be your savior. He wants you to depend on him for salvation, to be changed by him, have eternal life, and be in relationship with him. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. Following Jesus fully means depending on him fully. What does that look like for you this morning? Let's pray. Lord, you have uh, entrusted to us the care of, of stuff, material possessions, and, and other things, Lord. And oftentimes, Lord, we, we don't always get it right. Lord, help us to not hold on to it where it hinders us from following you. Help us, Lord, not to hold on to a grip. Help us, Lord, not to be like the rich ruler. God, expose our hearts before you. And we can love you, depend on you, trust you, Lord, even in the midst of our, of our stuff, in the midst of our, of our possessions, of our responsibilities, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be foolish. And so, Lord, give us wisdom to know how best to do that, to honor you, to serve you, to give you praise, to worship you through our wealth. Lord, help us to have childlike faith. Expose for us, Lord, how we can come to you trusting, unhindered. What is it that's hindering us, Lord? Expose that to us. Show us in our hearts. Lord, we love you. Lord, we know that following you is not always easy. But Lord, it's worth it. Show that to us this morning. By your Holy Spirit, may we give you praise. May we honor you in our lives in all aspects. In Christ's name, amen.